Oh God, we, uh, that was so moving. Every one of us here, we, we are citizens of the world, but we live in this land. This is our homeland. We love this land and nation. Oh God, do whatever it takes. Save America while there's time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I hold here in my hands an email from a young American woman. She is a graduate student, not here. She wrote this letter to her family on Wednesday, November 9, the day after the election in this nation. Someone showed me, one of her family showed me the letter and I said, I need permission to read that. She gave permission. And so I want to read it to you. Subject, Dear Family. Email begins, Dear Family, I'm having an incredibly difficult day, but I am not alone. About half of America grieves with me. Over the years, I seem to get questions as to why I am still single. Today, I have an answer. My church and now my country have openly declared that as a person I am less valuable due to my gender. This becomes increasingly evident and oppressive to me as I break gender norms and pursue advanced education to make a difference in this world beyond just the lives of children and other women as it's acceptable by society and the church. I refuse to be viewed in this manner in my own home. So if being single is what is the consequence, I write to you so that when or if you choose to discuss this topic or ignore it when talking to me, I want you to know that my heart is broken as I am forced to face my minority status today. Love always. Her name. We live in a fractured country. Last Tuesday, 59.5 million American voters were jubilant. And 59.7 million American voters despondent. And if you stayed up late to experience the emotions of that moment, you know they were palpable. The wild joy and the broken despondency. The morning after the election, I said, okay, I'm going to go to social media now, see what's, see what's trending out there. Oh, my. A strong cauldron of absolute conflict, conflicting emotions, brokenness and bitterness versus triumph and joy and nonchalance, get over it. Uh, tweets and messages. But you know what the dominant emotion was and perhaps still is? I'll tell you what it is. It's anger. Just plain anger. That's why over the last few days in the cities across this nation we have seen these raucous protests 
predominantly young. You're right. Young, some of them voting for the first time in an election in this nation, believing now that somehow democracy, the government, the process has let them down. Hashtag not my president is ascending in its trend. We live in a fractured country whose fissures are only spreading wider and wider. Come on. Am I telling you anything? Which is why we gathered on Wednesday evening right in this place for a beautiful and meaningful prayer season. We were obeying God's injunction. And so the words you see on the screen clear to us, 1 Timothy 2, I urge then, first of all, the petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. We prayed for Him by name then. You heard Him prayed for name by name today, our President-elect Trump. Russell Moore brilliant mind that he is, and I track him wherever he goes. Russell Moore is president of the Southern Baptist Convention's Commission on Ethics and Religious Liberty. In a blog he wrote Wednesday morning, these words, No matter what our differences, politically or religiously, surely we can all agree that this campaign has been demoralizing and even traumatizing for most of the country. Many of us have deep differences with our new president and would have no matter which candidate has, had been elected. But we must pray that he will succeed in leading our country with wisdom and justice." End quote. And so we pray. And so we will pray. We're inserting this, stopping this series you and I have been on together and inserting this, you see it on the screen, our teaching for today, Healing the Fracture. Life in post-election America. Is there anything else besides prayer that we can do to respond? Oh, yes, there is. I want to tell you just what, but before we do, th let, let this be clear. We need to recognize that in some ways we live not only in a fractured and divided country, we also live today in a fractured and divided church. And I don't mean the evangelical community that's spread across America either. I'm thinking of my own faith community that I love and that I serve. That email I read a moment ago expresses the hurt of a young woman in our midst, not only over this election, but over church decisions that are being perceived and being received by the young within this faith community, and especially by the young women as especially targeting them as women. How did she put it in her letter to her family? Let me read that line again. My church and now my country have openly declared that as a person I am less valuable due to my gender. My heart is broken as I am forced to face my minority status today. Look, I, I need to say this right here. If she were here and she is not here. But if she were here, I would be quick to say to her, hey, come on, come on, come on, hold on. You need to know this is not what your church stands for. 
You are not a person of less value to this faith community. That's just wrong. And if there were political scientists here, I'm sure they would jump forward to her, to us, to assure us that the election results on Tuesday were not a national referendum or repudiation of the role of women in our society. But it can feel that way if you're a woman. It can feel that way when public statements and public positions of leaders in the country or in the church when those public statements seem to belie, seem to challenge what most Americans and Adventists believe that women are just as valuable and essential to the life of this country and to the mission of this church. And it is those perceptions, because perception is reality, I remind you. It is those perceptions that the country and the church must deal with right away. By the way, the same is true this fracture. The same is true for the racial and ethnic fracture that divides this land today. I read one tweet, scribbled it down. Young man, his words, I didn't quite understand how much white people hated us or could at least live with that hate. Now I do. It must break the heart of God. It breaks my heart. Can you believe it? Would to God, that's not true in the church. Yeah, right, go figure. We are just as fractured as the culture and society we live in. So what does Jesus have to say? This morning I want to leave with you three words from Jesus. Three red-letter words. I'll read them just like that. We'll not turn anywhere else in Scripture but to Jesus right now. Mark chapter 3. Open your Bible to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 23. And by the way, please mark these words well. The first, the first, these are the number one, this is the number one red letter word. Mark it well because what has happened to the nation must be heard loud and clear by the church. Mark chapter 3. So I'm in the NIV. You got your phone, whatever. I'll put it on the screen for you as well. Glad to have those of you who are live streaming with us right now. I hope this moment is a moment where these red letter words will address your own heart and life. Okay, so this is Mark chapter 3. Let's pick it up in verse 23. So Jesus called them over to him and he began to speak to them in parables. Red letters now. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Verse 25. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. From whence comes the parable, a house divided against itself cannot stand. They got it from Jesus. A house divided against itself racially cannot stand. And neither can the church, and neither can the country. A house divided against itself in terms of gender cannot stand. And neither can the church, and neither can the country. So what does this mean? What are we supposed to do? Maybe we need to, maybe we need to pursue the, the exact antithesis of what one candidate was advocating for the nation during the campaign. To do that, consider two other red-letter words from Jesus. These two are unique in that they are both 
spoken on the same night, spoken by the same Jesus, and recorded in the same gospel. Gospel of John. Red letter and red letter word number two and red letter word number three. So turn over the gospel of John. In less than 24 hours, Jesus will be dead. This is Thursday night, late Thursday night. Jesus speaking. Bright red in my Bible. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. We'll pick it up in verse 34. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Verse 35. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He spoke those words in the upper room. He went outside, prayed to his father. And we have that, the last prayer to his father before all hell breaks loose. Early Friday morning. This is now chapter 17. This is in the prayer to his father. Drop down to verse 22. Just a few pages over. Jesus praying to the Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me, O Father, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Did you catch an embedded phrase, an embedded word that is identical in both passages? Did you, did you hear any similarity? You will. Let's put, a, let's put a split screen up. I want you to catch what he's saying because what he's saying in both passages is critical to third millennials like you and me. So you see the split, split screen there? There's John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay, now, a few hours later, John 17. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Isn't that amazing? How will the world, how will everybody know that God has a people on earth? How will everybody know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? Number one, they'll know by our love for each other, our radically self-sacrificing love. And number two, they will know it by our unity with each other, our radical self-sacrificing unity. Now, isn't that crazy? I want you to be together. I want you to be together. I want you to be bound so tight that the world will know the truth about me and you. I say it's crazy because as I recall, the, the rallying cries during this election campaign were to sever, were to separate people from each other. So I heard something about a wall. Unless we cluck our towns too, too loudly as we were just about to do, even the church can debate about severing, about separating people from the church or from the organization or from each other. And here is Jesus on the night before he's executed on Calvary declaring that there are two powerful indicators to everyone, to the whole world, that you are mine and that I am yours. And these two indicators are, what are they, what are they again? One, our love for one another. And two, our unity with each other. <laughs> the only evidence that you and I love one another. The only evidence that we love one another is if we are united to one another. And the only evidence that we are united to one another is if we love one another. Those two are inseparable. They were born twins. They have to go together. You can't sever, you can't separate and say, okay, that's where you go because we don't agree. You can't do that. 
The world doesn't figure anything out. That's the way politics is in America. That's where you go because we don't agree. Yeah. No, 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 Jesus said, the whole world will know you are my people and will know that I came to this planet because you will have love for each other and you will be united with each other. It is this, it is as we are together. Together we are the community of God. The unity that shines from radical love, self-sacrificing love, self-sacrificing unity. And so we as Americans, and so we as Adventists, we need to pull together, not cut apart, not cut asunder. We need to unite, not sever. We must not be known, please, we must not be known as the people who cut off minorities, be they Mexicans or Muslims or LGBT, or immigrants, or Latinos, or Asians, or blacks, or women. Of all people in America, the church must be the community, the place where all people, where everybody, where the whole world will be shown compassion and love. Compassion and love. By this everybody will know you are my people, if you have love for one another. I happen to agree with Russell Moore again on the screen. No matter what the racial and ethnic divisions in America, we can be churches that demonstrate and embody the reconciliation of the kingdom of God. After all, we are not just part of a coalition but part of a body, capital B, body, a body that is white and black and Latino and Asian and male and female and rich and poor. We are part of a body, get this, joined to a head who is an Aramaic-speaking Middle Easterner. Go figure. What affects black and Hispanic and Asian Christians ought to affect white Christians. And the sorts of poverty and social unraveling among the white working class ought to affect black and Hispanic and Asian Christians. We belong to each other because we belong to Christ. So are you disillusioned with your country right now? Are you? So are you disillusioned with your church right now? Are you? Well, there's something you can do. There's something you can do right now based on Jesus' radical call to love and unity. Here's what you can do. There are two responses you can make. No study guide today. Just lock this in your mind. There are two responses to Jesus' radical call you can make. Response number one, jot it down in your mind. Become engaged with your church. The justice causes that you have rightfully embraced. After all, didn't God say to do, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? Didn't God say that? I mean, didn't that come from Him? The justice causes you have embraced have not been repudiated by the election of this country or by the debate in the wider church. Neither the country nor the church are under the dominion of one person, one leader, or one voice. Not my voice, not your voice, not nobody's voice. The democratic process in both the nation and the church means you can exercise your calling to effect change within your church and within your country. But you will never change your country if you move to Canada. 
Come on, just read social media. It's all out there. I'm going to Canada. Turn the lights off. The last one out. You will never change your country if you move to Canada, and you will never influence your church if you leave it. Well, I'm leaving the church now. I'm sick and tired of this church. I'm out of here. You're crazy. Don't you dare leave this church. You're what we're depending on. You leave the church now, you're only punishing yourself. The church will go on. They won't even know you're gone. One little Facebook post, and that's all the glory you'll get. Don't abandon your church, especially now. Stay engaged. Hey, look, 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 look. This does not mean that you have to agree with everything your church does because even the community of faith can make mistakes and get it wrong. I mean, look at the church in Acts. You want to see a church in conflict? I mean, they're hardly days beyond Calvary when the widows, the Hellenists, the Greek descended widows are complaining, you're giving more food to them than to us. And the church had to invent the deacons. They're in conflict. You want to read red-hot conflict? Read Acts chapter 15. There is not a meeting of the minds when that meeting begins. Just look at the church in Acts. Great debates, disagreements. You know what you need to do? What I need to do is embrace the great American poet Robert Frost's suggestion. I'm going to put the poem. This is the tail end of a very long poem. I'll put it on the screen for you, Robert Frost. And were an epitaph to be my story, I'd have a short one. You know what an epitaph is? That's what goes on your grave, okay? And were an epitaph to be my story, I'd have a short one ready for my own. I would have written of me on my stone, I had a lover's quarrel with the world. Do you know what a lover's quarrel with the word, world is? A lover's quarrel with the world goes like this. Listen, I love you. Though I cannot agree with all you say, I cannot agree with all you do, I'm still committed to you. We need to have a lover's quarrel with the church. That's what you need to do. I love you, church. Though I cannot agree with all that you decide and with all that you say, I'm still committed to you. You've got to stay engaged. Become engaged with your church. Response number one, have a lover's quarrel with the church, but stay on. Response number two, Become engaged, become immersed in your country. Become engaged with your church, become immersed. Response number two, in your country. So the election didn't go the way you were hoping and praying. Okay? Well, as the proverb goes, don't get mad, just get even. What's that mean? Get even with America and immerse yourself, your, yourself rather, in the life of this nation. I want to tell you something. Your life can change America way more than your one vote. Your life can make an eternal difference in this country. Wow. Jesus declares of you, of the church, of all of us, you are the light of the world. No, 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 no. You are the salt of the earth. No, 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 no. You're the, you're the yeast. You're the leaven of the kingdom. What's he saying? He's saying, you've got to get out. Get out there. Be light in the darkness of a world without love. Be salt. Permeate society. Be leaven. Just a little yeast in the lump and boo, it, it infiltrates everything. Yeah, but what can I do, Dwight? How do I do that? Two practical suggestions. Don't laugh me off of this platform. Do not laugh me off of this platform. I'm going to give you two suggestions. They're both practical. Don't dismiss them too quickly, all right? 
keeping an eye on you. Okay, suggestion number one, move to the southern border of the United States and Mexico. Come on. Move to the southern border and minister to the aliens and the immigrants, legal and illegal, that will surround you. Learn to speak Spanish, Espanol, so that you can speak the language of their hearts. Embrace the incarnational mission of Jesus. Go down to the border. Turns out that's not such a wacky idea. I found out. The little classic ministry of healing on the screen for you. Missionary families are needed to, needed to settle in the waste places. Now, those of you watching from Texas right now, we're not thinking of you as waste, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Missionary families are needed to settle in the waste places along that border. Let farmers, let financiers, let builders, let those who are skilled in various arts and crafts go to the neglected fields, go to improve the land, go to establish industries, go to prepare humble homes for yourselves and to help your neighbors. Here's the point, guys. Once you get all the education you need here at Andrews University, get it all. Get it all while you're here. Just don't come back. Once you get all the education you need, then you move. While the nation is debating, cutting off the minorities, cutting off aliens, you are ministering to them. Wow. Move to the border. You don't like that one? Okay, I got one more. Number two, move to the inner city. Become a public school teacher in the inner city. You don't have to teach at church schools. You can teach in a public school. It's a high honor. In the inner city, go. Become, practice medicine in the heart of that city. Practice pro bono law with a firm that's dedicated to ministering to minor minorities and residents of the inner city. Become the light, become the salt, become the yeast of Jesus. Permeate the dark hopelessness that grips the hearts of those living in the inner city. Immerse yourself in the life of your country. Don't get mad, get even. Just go out. Go out. Christ Object Lessons. Oh, this is good. And it really ends with the best line. Okay. Thus, in the night of spiritual darkness, God's glory. And by the way, the context for these words, clearly, clearly, the context is the end of time, right before the end, all right? Thus, in the night of spiritual darkness, God's glory is to shine forth through His church in lifting up the bowed down and comforting those that mourn. All around us are heard the wails of a world's sorrow. On every hand are the needy and distressed. It is ours to aid in relieving and softening life's hardships and misery. We are to give food to the hungry, clothing to the naked, and shelter to the homeless. If Christ is abiding in us, here it comes now, if Christ is abiding in us, our hearts will be full of divine sympathy. Now watch this. The sealed fountains of earnest Christ-like love will be unsealed. Because as long as you're living in a ghetto like this, they're sealed up. You're not doing much with it. That's all sealed up. But the moment you move out to the, to the marginalized, the alienated, the disenfranchised, when you move out to them, the love in you will be unsealed and Christ's love flows through you. Isn't that great? And by the way, you don't have to move far to find an inner city just 12 miles up the road. Benton Harbor. Change your membership. Move up to Benton Harbor with my blessing. Give all your offerings to Benton Harbor with my blessing. Sabbath afternoons, get on, jump in a car, go up there for incarnational ministry with our blessing. Pioneer has a campus in that inner city, and it's called Harbor of Hope. And it is a harbor of hope. 
It's a beautiful campus. Go be a part of it. Why are you sitting here? Get out. Make a difference. Become immersed in the life of this country. Become engaged with your church. Become immersed in your country. Why? Because we need you. Your country needs you. Your church needs you. But most of all, God needs you. By this, all the world will know you are my people. If you have love for one another, radical united love, America and the world can have no more compelling witness than a generation moving out and saying, we've lived with the We've lived with the comfort and all the accoutrements of well-being. We will go out into the dark on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, and then I'm sitting down, the times could... Listen carefully now because this, this is where you're going to hear stuff you've never heard. The times are critical. They could hardly be more critical. Life as we know it is rather rapidly moving towards some sort of showdown. Sooner, by the way, rather than later. And I'm going to give you three exhibits, okay? Exhibit number one. Tuesday night, during the election, the ambassador from France to the United States is sitting there watching and is just saying, what is happening? And he sends out this tweet. I'll put it on the screen for you. 63-year-old Gerard Arode tweeted, and I'm quoting him now, after Brexit, and you know what that is, after Brexit and this election, everything is now possible. A world is collapsing before our eyes. Dizziness. He shut that tweet out, according to the UK Mirror. Before the night was over, he wisely deleted the tweet because he will need to do business with the next administration. How did he put it? A world is collapsing before our eyes faster than we may realize, by the way. August 15, there's a little meeting going on in Florida between one candidate and a room full of evangelical leaders, pastors we call them. Time Magazine happened to catch that, reported on it, time.com. You can Google it. Get the right keywords in, you'll find it. In a startling off-the-cuff speech, just a few lines, to a gathering of pastors in Florida last week, Trump threw away his prepared remarks and promised over and over to give evangelical churches the power to essentially spend unlimited sums of tax-exempt money on politics. Nearly 80% of evangelicals already support Trump. It is one of his largest supportive demographics and one of the GOP's most reliable voting blocks. Now listen to this. In the middle of a speech, Trump told the pastors that evangelical voters would make the difference in key battleground states like Florida, Virginia, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. Who knew those were the battleground states? You have a chance. I'm quoting Trump now. You have a chance to do something that will be earth-shaking, he said. I literally mean it, earth-shaking. You got to get your people out to vote. And I continue to read, not his quote, if white evangel evangelical Christians put him in the White House, he promised to return the favor. Well, they did. What was the favor, by the way? to no longer make it illegal for church, churches to spend tax dollars in 
publishing their points of view. Trump told the gathering, I know what your attendance has been like in evangelical churches. Am I right, he said? Oh, they said right. When I get in office, I'm going to turn that graph right around and your attendance will go up. Vote for me. Since when is it the concern of the President of the United States worship attendance in synagogues, mosques, or churches? Legislate to raise the attendance? Are you serious? Time Magazine, November 14. That's two days away yet. Cover, cover picture. I want you to see it. We'll pull the camera in on it for you. The two candidates. You recognize the candidates, of course. They put a sign in their hands. And the sign says, the end is near. Now, of course, the editors of Time Magazine are saying, hey, guys, good news. This campaign is about over. But you know what? Whatever the art director was thinking when he posted these words, the end is near, from someone who is assigned by the faith community to stand on the walls on tippy-toe and to keep an eye on what is developing in the nation, for someone like that, this is more than a coincidental piece of art. I remind you that the voting coalition that put the president-elect in office was the coalition to whom he promised the moon if they would get out and vote. How did he put it to those pastors? You have the chance to do something that will be earth-shaking. I literally mean it, earth-shaking. You've got to get your people to vote. When I read the Apocalypse chapter 13, as I read again in between services, just pondering Revelation 13, it isn't rocket science to read the description of a time when this nation will be faced with her own survival. And for the sake of the nation's security, it is clear that the majority will choose to sacrifice a minority in order to stay, to stay. Revelation 13, all you need is a charismatic leader who knows how to touch the buttons of fear and the longing for security. It's all you need. And you can convince a nation. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You can get there from here. Which is why, and this is my, this is my biggest burden, which is why we have got to get out into America now. We have no clue. We had no clue seven days ago. We have no clue now. What's going to happen in two weeks? We don't know. But if we don't go to America, then one day someone will slam the door of opportunity shut forever, forever. We've got to go. Get your education. Go. You hear? Move out. Don't sell the house. Just get involved, immersed in the life of a nation nearing, nearing, nearing the edge of eternity. Pull out your Connect card, please. Four ways to respond to Jesus' red-letter words.
Back side of the card. My next step today. Box number one, I want to be a change agent in the church and in this country by living out Jesus' radical united love. Oh, who doesn't want to be that? Check, check. Box number two, I, I will pray for our president-elect and his openness to the way of Christ. That's a prayer to pray. His openness to the way of Christ. Box number three, I'm interested in learning more about the United States in prophecy. Please send me more information. You put a check mark there, I need an email address on the front, a legible email address, and through cyberspace, you'll get, you'll get more information on what I was cryptically alluding to. And by the way, since we're speaking of that, I want to put a quotation on the screen from an apocalyptic classic called Great Controversy. May I read it right here? When the leading churches of the United States, uniting upon such points of doctrine as are held by them in common, shall influence the state, put me in office. I'll look out for you. When they shall influence the state to enforce their decrees and to sustain their institutions, I'll get the attendance back up. Then Protestant America will have formed an image of the Roman hierarchy and the infliction of civil penalties upon dissenters will inevitably result. You can get there from here. Box number three. I'm interested in learning more about that. Email address. Finally, box number four. I'm intrigued with the idea of joining Jesus and His mission to the marginalized and alienated in America. I would like to talk with someone about it. You ready to do something? Put a phone number. Just a phone number. Have to have a phone number. Put a phone number there. Put a check mark on that box. We'll be in touch with you. I'm going to pray with you. Oh, God, I can't just let this be some moment of inspiration and, oh, good, well, I feel better now. No, 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 God, please. Impress our hearts that we have to do something. We have to become engaged in the church again. We have to become immersed in this country again. We can no longer stand, sit, lie on the sidelines. It's critical. The time. Heaven is ready to move. Those who are bowed before you right now, God, what an army. What ambassadors you have that could fan across this great nation. One last time, do whatever it takes. Don't let us be the same, the same again because of this hour of national and global history. For Jesus, we will do it for Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen.